0: You are listening to the GMO Truth Podcast, straight out of the Walk-A-Mile Project, brought to you by nonprofit film company Change the World Films. Tune in here to discover the truth and change the world together. Hi everyone and welcome back. The GMO Truth has been quiet for way too long, but from now until the end of our GMO controversy phase, We will never go that long again without a podcast, I can promise you that. You won't completely understand why the unusual hiatus here until our next podcast, which will definitely release in September. In the meantime, today we are diving into the Dark Act as it's been dubbed by its opponents, which stands for Deny Americans the Right to Know, otherwise known as the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act, or H.R. 1599, from the United States House of Representatives. Two quick notes up front. First, If you've been following us for a while here, you know that we're doing our investigation and research somewhat chronologically, at least as best as we can, but it's also our responsibility to react to what's happening currently in the whole GMO controversy, especially when something urgent and important is at stake. In this case, with the DARK Act, because we're jumping ahead on the timeline here so to speak, we're not in a position to say that any GMO itself is safe or unsafe, specifically referring to the actual genetic engineering process. There's a lot of research ahead of us, and particularly into this quote-unquote scientific consensus that's being touted a lot as of late. I'm really looking forward to digging into and clarifying all that. It's certainly an extremely important part of the documentary and and one that has not seen our due diligence performed yet because of the sequence we're following. But, as you'll see here in a bit, when, when it comes to the dark act, we actually don't need to have that done in order to chime in on what's happening because... This is about much more than just the modifications themselves. There are reasons why this controversy has endured so long and continues. It's obviously complex, and honestly, it's a mess. That's a big part of why we decided to take it on in the first place. Second thing, we're running and promoting a GoFundMe campaign for the documentary right now, so if you appreciate the podcast, please take a second and visit our GoFundMe page. We've got links to it everywhere, and I've got the URL up on the screen right now. Even if you just donate $5, every single donation helps, and and we've got some pretty cool rewards for donating as well. And just sharing the campaign helps a lot too, so if you can't donate right now yourself, even if you just visit the GoFundMe page and share it on Facebook or Twitter, you are still helping a lot. You know, we sift through everything here. It's very time consuming, and it's something you probably don't want to do, like sitting through over four hours of congressional hearings on GMO labeling. So please just keep in mind that we're kicking ass on this controversy for you, and and even even just a $5 donation is a great way to say thanks and show your support. We'd really appreciate it. All right, let's get to it. Before we go dark, as in the dark act, let me answer a couple of questions that were sent my way on YouTube a while back from YouTube user Dirty Old Joe. Joe was actually pretty complimentary about the podcast overall, but he did have some constructive criticism. Always welcome and a couple of questions as well. So, so let me answer those right now. First off, Joe says, the first episodes on Monsanto are interesting and it's good to be reminded about this company's dirty track record, but you focus way too much on it in my opinion. The way a company behaved in the past has no bearing on the actual intrinsic safety of GMO. What about a world where Monsanto didn't exist? Would the image of GMO be different then? That is a really good question. First off, Understand that the, the early Monsanto focus stems not only from their role in introducing GMOs to our agriculture, but also from their role in helping to shape the regulation of GMO crops. Monsanto has been a very aggressive company, and as you'll see, the more we dig here into things like substantial equivalence and the GMO testing, it is very difficult to separate Monsanto from the GMO controversy. And that difficulty spikes upward even further. When you look at the GMOs actually being planted each year where Roundup Ready or glyphosate resistant crops make up the majority of GMOs on the planet, that's Monsanto's creation. Their stake in all of this is absolutely huge. So in a world where Monsanto didn't exist, and let's say our biggest commercial GMOs weren't tied directly to a specific herbicide, would the image of GMOs be different? I would say yes, big time, especially if there weren't concerns about the whole process being rushed to market. So, if you're looking at a world where GMOs are introduced in a more altruistic fashion, then yes, I think the image would be significantly different, which really just underscores my point as to why Monsanto has been such an integral piece to the whole controversy. But there's a lot more to this overall story than one company, so stay tuned. We're by no means only covering Monsanto here. That's not the point at all. We're just trying to stick to a somewhat chronological order, like, like we talked about before, to help with problem solving, essentially. and. Monsanto is basically the godfather of commercially successful GMOs. That's just the reality that we're dealing with. Okay, second question from Joe. You say that pesticide and GMO are necessarily tied. It might be true with most of the Monsanto crops, but there is also other crops or GMO out there like the insulin producing bacteria or the Golden Rice Project. Why are you not talking about them as well? So the, the insulin you mentioned is just not in the scope of this project because we're focused on the GMO specifically in our food supply. And that's just logistics. I mean, it's it's difficult enough to knock out a documentary that's as thorough as this one is with a slightly narrowed scope. So we've got to stick to the food supply. And the reason we focus on that is because it hits more people than say the insulin GMO. And our mission is to land the biggest impact with our work. So tackling the bigger situation just helps us achieve that. In regards to Golden Rice, that's most definitely part of this project. In fact, we talk about that briefly today because of what Representative Blackburn did at the first GMO labeling hearing. And we will definitely get more into that later. But again, chronological. And, and then Golden Rice hasn't gone to market. It's been a mess for one reason or another. So bottom line, we'll be hitting almost everything here before we're done. And remember, we're working on this at least through 2016. So there's a long way to go. A lot more research and podcasts to be done. And I just ask that you stay with us, follow along, keep giving us feedback and suggestions. That's great, and and we'll keep moving forward as fast as we can, but without sacrificing the quality of the research and the documentary work we need to do here. All right, thanks very much for the questions, Joe. Really appreciate that, and I hope to start seeing a lot more of those from people. And remember, you can actually be heard literally on the GMO Truth there if you just go to our podcast page at walkamileproject.com and click on the Start Recording button on the right side of the screen. It's actually on any of the podcast pages. Any, any single podcast we have, and the main podcast page, there's a, a start recording button where you can just instantly record a question or a comment for us. Just make sure you have an active microphone connected to your computer and you will be good to go. It's really easy. Okay, let's move on to the dark act. There are links on the podcast page to both the text of the bill itself and then videos of the two hearings that were held to discuss the two different versions of it. Word of warning... You can expect it to take four plus hours to get through the videos, plus another 20 to 30 minutes or so if you want to carefully read through the entire bill. It is worth it, in my opinion, to watch the two hearings if you're really curious uh, and want to see how, how this whole thing's evolved. But again, it, it's not easy to sit through. It was, I mean, I'm doing a documentary on it and it wasn't the easiest thing in the world for me. So I <laughs> totally understand. I'm not going to go, obviously it was four hours. I'm not going to make this a six-hour podcast to discuss everything that was in there. A lot of it was repetitive or irrelevant, sadly. So I'm, I'm going to pretty much stick to a script of, of a handful of things that are important and kind of the crux of the whole issue. Also, if you're hoping to stop this legislation from passing in the Senate, I put some links on the podcast page to empower you to do so. Just because it passed in the House doesn't make it a law yet, I'd certainly encourage you to listen to this podcast in its entirety first, however. Okay, H.R. 1599. First of all, let's talk about why this legislation even came to fruition. Across the country, there has been statewide legislation popping up asking for the labeling of genetically engineered foods. In California and in Oregon, referendums almost passed but failed. And then in Vermont, Connecticut, and Maine, laws were passed that were crafted and approved by state legislators. There's been a lot of work from the pro-GMO labeling contingent to get these state laws in place, presumably as a tool to force the federal government to step up and craft the federal labeling law. I'm not exactly sure, however. I I don't know if that's been made crystal clear or if there were ulterior motives in place. But regardless, enough has been done that the federal legislature felt the need to step in so we don't have patchwork laws that require different standards for labeling across different states. And I think everyone readily agrees that the more patchwork the laws might become, the more difficult it would be for food producers to accommodate because we'd have multiple state laws instead of one federal law that could provide a uniform standard. So I think it's pretty easy for anyone to understand that. And and, and it felt like that was the case for most of the two hearings as well. Although there was hesitation from some people in the house to go stomping on states' rights like HR 1599 does. For the purposes of the GMO truth here, I I don't have a problem with the U.S. House looking to implement a federal-level solution. But please feel free to chime in on that and let me know if you disagree or if you think we're missing something and we should dig into more. Now let's talk about what's not so rosy on Capitol Hill. The things I'm concerned about after watching the two hearings and reading the legislation itself. First, (laughs) I'm a little concerned about the people actually sponsoring this bill. Watching the two hearings left me pretty disconcerted about the way our elected officials handle themselves. So you've probably already seen the article we put up about Representative Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. The article is on walkmileproject.com. If you, if you click at the top under our current phase and then just look at all project updates, or if you scroll to the bottom of our homepage, you'll, you'll see it there. And it's, it's front and center, at least the video of it's front and center on our Facebook page, and, and that links directly to the article. But just in case you haven't seen it, here's a clip from her opening statement, which is obviously just a tad one-sided. And of course, it leads with a big lie that makes it sound like GMOs have saved millions of lives.
1: For example, there is a rice, it's called golden rice, which was developed with genetic engineering. One of the benefits to this rice And the reason that it is called golden rice is that it has a level of vitamin A that is not found in other rice. Golden rice has fed millions of starving people around the world and additionally prevented blindness and death because of the presence of vitamin A.
0: Now the truth is that golden rice, which has been talked about extensively for the past 15 years since it was on the cover of Time Magazine in July 2000, isn't even on the market anywhere yet. So it saved zero lives. They've been working on it for years on end, and like anything else with GMOs, I've heard two very different stories regarding the delays. One, that it's because of excessive regulation and adamant opposition from some anti-GMO groups. And two, that it's because of various other roadblocks related to testing, field trials, etc. Regardless, Golden Rice isn't there yet, and it's extremely irresponsible to lead off a hearing like this with an ugly lie that touts a GMO as a lifesaver when it's never even been implemented, particularly when she reads a statement off a piece of paper. It's not like she had an error in remembering something off the top of her head, so there is no excuse for that kind of deception, accidental or not. If you want to talk about Golden Rice as a potential lifesaver, okay, but millions of lives already saved. Not so much. And you just gave everyone in the room the incorrect perception that GMOs are some world-saving superheroes, when in reality, 99-plus percent of what's in place right now is either glyphosate-resistant crops, crops that produce the BT toxin, or crops that have both those traits. That's what these hearings should have primarily been about. Because those are the two GMOs that the vast majority of Americans are unknowingly eating. Golden rice is barely a blip on the radar in the United States. I'm sure we'd all like to think that the people in our government who decide to champion something like this legislation actually bust their butts a little to do some research and talk to experts and certainly to look at both sides. But with a few exceptions, I didn't feel that at all watching these hearings. And we don't ever want to see one of our elected officials step up at the beginning of a very important hearing, one that affects millions of people and just blatantly lie in a way that completely pushes her own agenda and misinforms everyone in that room. I'm sorry, but it's very disappointing and extremely irresponsible. Then there's Mike Pompeo from Kansas, the sponsor of this bill, who particularly at the end of this second hearing is just unbelievably pompous. In, In the first hearing, he kept trying to talk over and literally steer the words of the FDA official who was being interviewed. Thought I'd try and parse into that
1: just a little bit more. So when you, I've heard consensus, and that can be 70-30, or 80-20, or 90-10. Um, t- tell me how much science there is that would refute your position with respect to uh, the, the, the materiality of genetically engineered foods well, being safe.
0: We do not believe, again, as a class, that there's any question about safety um, based on the reviews we've done. And that would include just, I, 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 go ahead. There are obviously people, scientists, who differ with that point of view. Um, I don't know how many of them there are.
1: It's a tiny fraction.
0: It's certainly a a small
1: fraction. And not folks that the FDA at least gives significant credit to, certainly enough that you would change your view.
0: Then in the second hearing, what really bothered me was the way he harped on the lack of a GMO labeling referendum actually passing in a state because all the state referendums were defeated. He didn't talk about... The number of voters involved, or the percentages, and he didn't mention the outrageous sums of money spent by the big biotech companies, including Monsanto, on advertising designed to publicly dissuade voters. And and with questionable ethics and information in that advertising to boot. And by the way, Oregon's vote was so close, it required a recount. So it's not like there were five people in California and four people in Oregon pushing for GMO labeling. Here's a clip of what Mike Pompeo had to say regarding the GMO labeling referendums. There is
1: absolutely no denial of anyone's right to know whether that product was there. And someone who only wants to eat non-GMO ice cream can do so today, and they can do so once we get H.R. 1599 passed. And so if I'm right about that, you'll come join me on the podium when we celebrate its passage, I assume. And I'll look forward to that. Um, you also talked about there being lots of popularity for this. Um, Has this ever passed by referendum in any state in the United States of America that you know of? Uh, In Vermont, it was passed through the legislature. My question is a yes or no question. Has it ever passed by referendum anywhere? When it's been put to the people, have they ever approved what you are proposing?
0: Not to my knowledge. Right.
1: So every time it's been on the ballot, the American people have rejected it.
0: You know, honestly, Pompeo's arrogance was just embarrassing. And there is no place for that in public office. He was a disservice to his constituents and to everyone present or affected by what happened at that hearing, and he wasn't alone. And that kind of open bias towards passing H.R. 1599 permeated most of the hearing, which brings me to the second concern here. At times, both these hearings just felt like misinformation-laden dog-and-pony shows. In other words, it felt like, with a few exceptions, everyone was just sitting in a room talking about a foregone conclusion as if all the votes were already cast, particularly in the second hearing that took place in June. So beyond the all for show aura that these hearings gave off at times, for me there was also just a lack of digging into the supposed safety consensus. Yeah, so you you brought in one guy from the FDA. We're all aware of the FDA's stance. That's great. But you have people across the country voicing concern, some of it a health concern, one that you would hope inspires a little more due diligence this isn't just a few people crying wolf. And this is something we're almost to the point of covering at Walk a Mile, which is that there are people who have taken certain GMO foods out of their diet or their children's diet and have reported health improvements from doing so. I'll talk about that more at the very end here, and I can't, I can't vouch for exact results at this point because we haven't gone down the research path yet, but GMOs are most certainly a suspect to the point where these kinds of health situations are making activists out of people, like Teenager Rachel parent in Canada and Robin O'Brien here in the US and my point is simply this Where were those voices in these hearings? Are you going to tell me that particularly in that first hearing with the FDA? Spokesperson present that the FDA has received zero complaints on potential GMO reactions I'm sure the number isn't insanely high since most people don't even know when they're eating GMOs Hence the whole labeling initiative in the first place, but there's got to be a number so why wasn't that number discussed? And beyond that, where are the other organizations and experts? Where, where's the independent review of data? Who is commissioned to look at this and to treat it seriously because it affects millions of people and hundreds of millions of acres of crops? Where's the real due diligence? Instead of anything along those lines, we were left with a handful of people and an FDA spokesperson who often responded to questions with answers like, not to my knowledge, and... Not that I'm aware of. And last of all, on this point, there's one word that was the giant yet oh-so-silent elephant in that hearing room for the second hearing back in June. It's a word that was never mentioned, not even once, and that word is, of course, glyphosate. How do you have a hearing concerning GMO labeling without discussing what the World Health Organization said on glyphosate back in March? Probably carcinogenic to humans is not very subtle and I would think as a governing body that's supposed to help look out for the well-being of the people it represents you might want to talk about that and for me that's what sealed these two hearings as just one big show because after everything else no one even mentions glyphosate. Glyphosate resistant crops are the number one GMO type in the world and yet the house of representatives can't even utter the g-word once in their final hearing before passing what they have the nerve to then call the safe and accurate labeling legislation. How do you not talk about glyphosate? Well, they decided not to talk about it, but we'll be talking about it a lot more on GMO Truth Number 9 in September. And those of you who listen regularly or just read up at walkamileproject.com, you're well aware of those glyphosate concerns. So let me digress to what HR 1599 actually does, because remember, The point here was to prevent patchwork labeling laws across different states that could potentially create a big mess. That said, H.R. 1599, instead of creating a labeling standard that walks more hand-in-hand with the laws that three states have already passed, it essentially stops on them like King Kong stepping on a gumball. The call to label GMO food just goes completely unanswered here, and instead we get this, which I'm reading straight from the text. I will skip over the parentheses, though, and we're putting it up in the video, too, so you can read it. Subject to paragraph 2, no state or political subdivision of a state may directly or indirectly establish under any authority or continue in effect as to any covered product in interstate commerce any requirement for the labeling of a covered product indicating the product as having been produced from, containing, or consisting of a genetically engineered plant, including any requirements for claims that a covered product is or contains an ingredient that was produced from, contains, or consists of a genetically engineered plant. That's a mouthful. And that's really the kicker, that, that's, that's the direct punch in the face to Vermont, Connecticut and Maine, which pretty obviously was the main intent of this bill to say that no state can create their own labeling law. Then there's a section that will likely ruffle some feathers but I, I'm not 100% sure because it seems to be in direct conflict with the section right above it. What they're talking about here, and, and I'll put this up as well, What they're talking about here is is what it takes to be sold or labeled as product produced without the use of genetic engineering and here in the first section we see this in the case of a covered product derived from livestock that is marketed in the united states for human consumption the covered product and the livestock products consumed by such livestock and products used in processing the products consumed by such livestock shall be produced without the use of products derived from genetic engineering okay now i know that's lawn and A little convoluted sign but if you read it twice it completely makes sense and by the way going through this bill which I've read in its entirety and of course watch all the hearing this is a really good time just to remind you of why it's a great idea to go to our GoFundMe page (laughs) and at least donate five dollars to help us because as you can see we're doing stuff that most people do not want to do digging through this kind of a bill is not exactly your uh, your favorite Saturday morning activity that section I just read makes sense but in the section that follows, it sounds like they completely negate that by saying this instead. In the case of a covered product derived from livestock that is marketed in the United States for human consumption, the covered product shall not be considered to be genetically engineered solely because the livestock consumed feed produced from containing or consisting of a genetically engineered plant. Honestly, I'm at a loss on this one. There's, there's probably some technicality in here that I'm missing. But either way, I would think that this second section doesn't belong here. If you're trying to certify a food as non-GMO, then livestock fed GMO feed most certainly would not qualify as non-GMO. So if that's what they're trying to sneak in here, yeah, that's probably going to cause a bit of an uproar. The only other thing I'll say about the legislation is that I've read in multiple places that this bill would allow bogus natural claims on food. But I don't see anything in here that speaks to that directly. What I do see regarding the natural claims is that it's saying The Secretary of Health and Human Services shall issue proposed regulations, which is essentially asking for clarification on all the natural terms in use now, which it mentions in the bill, and it references another document when it says that. But I've searched through that other document, and there's nothing in it regarding natural, GMO, etc. That doesn't mean I'm not missing something, because there may be some seriously tangled webs that I'm just not familiar with here. But what it does mean is that I, I can't comment on it either way. All I will say is that it's pretty easy to understand people's concern if a plant is modified with genes imported from another species, which we don't regularly see in other forms of breeding, and then food products from that plant can still be labeled natural. That's where a good amount of people will likely feel, even if it is completely safe, that we've crossed the natural line. So if the claims I've read are correct and those GE foods can still get the word natural stamped on them, yeah, that'll probably cause a bit of a stir too. So for HR 1599, we've talked about what makes sense and what I think we should be concerned about. Putting all that together, while I think most people will agree that a federal standard is needed, I just don't think this legislation is it. I think it's a cop-out. And here's my biggest concern. There are disturbing health trends that are off the charts different from what we saw just a couple of decades ago. And that's something we'll get into in a future podcast as our research progresses, but for now, Look, there are plenty of reasons to say, wait a minute, look at these numbers, something is very likely going on with our food supply, so let's figure it out. And when it comes to the FDA, they aren't infallible, not even close. Let's be honest, there's a gargantuan task in front of them every day, just like there is for the EPA, which we'll talk about in detail next time. But for the FDA, I'm sure it's a stressful job. Go look at the FDA's... Recall website and see all the things that they have to police to keep us safe, and they don't always succeed Look at the drug recalls for drugs that were approved and deemed safe and actually had Detailed trials done on humans something our new in the last two decades genetically engineered corn soy and the rest have not For the drugs that were recalled we had trials done on humans, and we still got it wrong when we move into the science on all this for the Guacamala Project and talk about the studies that have been done and haven't been done, that's one of the parts of this documentary that will unquestionably be extremely important. So, of course, I won't sit here right now and tell you either way that we know because we haven't dived into it yet. But regardless of what people like some of our representatives in the House have quoted on this scientific consensus, there is enough noise and concern and enough smoke that may or may not lead to fire that no. We're just not going to accept that quick consensus stamp without digging into it, without walking a mile in some scientist's shoes. There are questions and concerns. This affects millions of people. So in the process of creating a responsible documentary, we'll be looking into that. And no, it doesn't mean we're rejecting the science. Not at all. I'm not sitting here telling you that GMOs are going to kill you or that they're even unsafe at this point. What I am saying is that I haven't seen anyone dig deep into this all the way to make sure what we're being told about the science is 100% true and infallible. So we will. And if anyone thinks we're crazy for doing that, for just wanting to make sure, especially when a company like Monsanto has been such a huge driving force behind all this, then they need to go back and look at the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s where we had decades of PCB use that never should have happened. And it wasn't like we didn't have any scientists walking around on Earth for those four decades. And we did it in Vietnam with Agent Orange. And for crying out loud, we used to run ads for tobacco with doctors in them. We're not perfect. And I know we didn't have the regulatory agencies in place then, but even with them in place, we miss things. There's a lot going on. Go ahead and ask the FDA about Vioxx and the people who died from it while it was on the market for five years. And that's only one example of many. You know. I know know I'm on the soapbox here a little bit and understand that's been spurred on by sitting through four hours of watching our legislators at work (laughs) but look as the human race we strive to move forward to evolve to get better and better at things and to generally improve our existence although sometimes we're just fighting to preserve it but we're not going to be perfect ever that's not us. One of our advisory committee members at Change World Films has a degree in genetics. And he and I have talked about this at length, that from a pure scientific standpoint, there are noble aims to genetic engineering, which is one of the assumptions we work on here with the documentary. We are not here to rip on the concept of genetic engineering. You'll see that clearly as we move forward. But what we are here to do is to make sure that we haven't made a seriously wrong detour by veering away from those noble aims. Was it a noble aim to inextricably tie an herbicide to a GMO seed? And will we wind up paying for that? We've got a ways to go before we find a definitive answer. But to wrap this up, specifically related to HR 1599, there are too many questions which were almost all ignored in these hearings and I really think they missed the mark. When there are concerns rising over the rampant use of glyphosate, in the very least you'd like to see them put the whole labeling issue on hold while an independent investigation is launched. But as an alternative solution, you can come up with a label that actually states exactly what's in the product, not just slamming some random contains genetically modified ingredient statement on there. And I think the right way to handle this is to come up with a meaningful label, which I haven't even heard anyone mention. Four hours and I heard no one mention. And what I mean by a meaningful label is that it tells the consumer what's in the product. Come up with a term that makes sense for those who want to know about it, like contains BT corn, or use an abbreviation like GR for glyphosate resistant, and then you put contains GR soy on the label. That may sound crazy, but let's be honest, it's a lot less crazy than the label you see right now on diet foods and sodas that contain aspartame. Do you remember this one? It says, and i'll probably butcher the pronunciation here but it says phenylketonurics contains phenylalanine and here's what the mayo clinic says about it phenylalanine isn't a health concern for most people however for people who have the genetic disorder phenylketonuria P- or pku or certain other health conditions phenylalanine can be a serious health concern how many of you have ever had a diet soda and even gave that label a second thought I've never met anyone that has PKU, but I do know someone that is blatantly allergic to GMO soy. Do you think she might appreciate a label that says contains GR soy? In the very least, it could say contains GE soy or spell it out and say contains genetically engineered soy, but honestly, I don't think it's right to generalize across the whole spectrum of genetic engineering. It's something we should get better and better at over time, and I think it's a much more reasonable request to label specifically. Which is why i don't understand why it hasn't been talked about and i definitely don't agree with just stamping contains genetically engineered ingredients on a label because case in point for a person who reacts to gmo soy that doesn't tell her enough information it just means that if there's any soy in the product at all she now has to avoid it entirely if it has that genetically engineered ingredients label so for me hr 1599 is not an answer it's a cop-out and since They had someone from the FDA at that first hearing, and yet I heard no mention of any GMO allergies or health concerns whatsoever. You know, it kind of dawned on me. We're a documentary project, and I think it's time we open up a new avenue here for documenting what might be going on because it doesn't look like it's happening anywhere else. So, from this point forward, if you or anyone you know have had a health concern or allergy that you feel is related to a particular food where you're concerned a GMO ingredient may be the problem, we want you to let us know. And if you've actually isolated a particular GMO ingredient that's been causing you a problem, we definitely want you to let us know that. It's important to get our finger on the pulse of what's happening. And maybe it's much ado about nothing, maybe it's not. But this is your chance to let us know and to certainly be a part of the Walk a Mile Project. and You might even be a part of the documentary itself. So we've created a special page where you can submit your story to us. I put a link up on screen right now, and you can also find it easily over walkamileproject.com, and it's on our podcast page there too. You can just give us your email address and what the problem is if you'd like, or if you're interested in potentially being in the documentary, just click yes on the form to let us know, and then make sure you give us your name and phone number in there as well so we can get in touch with you if needed. And remember, we're just interested in documenting potentially GMO-related health or allergy problems here. That's the full extent of it. So try to be as brief and clear as possible. And by the way, Our email list is only ours. We don't ever sell it, and we don't tolerate spam. We're a nonprofit organization, so we're not interested in any of that. And look, we're not doing this to take sides. Events over the past several months have pointed to a key part of this controversy that's obviously being ignored by our lawmakers, which was made crystal clear in the second hearing when glyphosate was just completely left out of the discussion. There's no excuse for that. So we're doing something they're obviously afraid to do, strangely enough, which is to err on the side of caution. Last of all today, and really quick, I promise, I'm gonna give you a little insight into, into what prompted me to start asking people to submit any GMO health or allergy concerns to us, in addition to watching the lack of any question of it in those hearings. So my good friend and director of development here at Change World Films, Deanna, and I were, we were talking one day a while back about food, and she mentioned that she had to stop eating chicken because it started making her violently ill. And I just off the cuff suggested that maybe she should try eating organic chicken just in case the problem was related to GMOs, since organic chicken is never fed GMO feed. I already knew of someone that was allergic to GMO soy and I'd heard Rachel Parent and Robin O'Brien stories as well. So it was in my realm of possibility at that point although I'd never seen it firsthand. So there are easy things like that to try to see if you can decipher what your body is reacting to and Deanna did and I was blown away but she was completely fine. Eating organic chicken. Lo and behold, she goes back to try non-organic chicken, essentially just to make herself a guinea pig, and she gets sick again. And this all happened firsthand while we were working on this project together. This is a relatively new development, so she's actually in the process of homing in on what exactly is causing the problem. But obviously, GMO feed in the chicken is suspect. I will keep you posted on the GMO truther as she figures all that out one way or another, though. All right, that is it. This has been a long podcast and the hardest one we've had to produce yet by far. So thanks so much for hanging in there. I'll be back in September to continue our research sequence on glyphosate. And I will tell you right now, it is going to blow your mind. This has been the hardest podcast to produce. September's podcast will be the biggest, easily the biggest podcast we've ever done. And you will see why in just a few weeks. So talk to you then, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Walk a Mile Project's GMO Truth Podcast. To stay up to date on new podcasts or learn more and join in on our GMO investigation and upcoming feature film, head over to walkamileproject.com and sign up for free anytime, 24-7. And that is how we discover the truth and change the world together. Dance when you
1: walk that door. Don't say you're easy on me. You're that as easy as a nuclear
0: war. There's a dream.